Welcome to a brand new episode of Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. Today's episode is brought to you by BestFightPicks.com. Go to BestFightPicks.com, type your email in that top right corner, and get the best fight picks and podcasts delivered to your inbox every single fight week. Joining me on this very special edition of Half the Battle is UFC bantamweight contender Anthony El Toro Burchak. Anthony, welcome to Half the Battle, my man. What's going on, man? Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course, man. And, you know, with most guys I have on the show, you know, we start and, you know, we talk about their past history and we start from the bottom to the top. But, dude, you're let's get right down to business because you're taking on Tomas Almeida in Brazil. This is a kid that's 20-0 with 19 finishes and he's Brazilian and you're fighting him in Brazil. I mean, just talk about that real quick because one doesn't simply fight Tomas Almeida in Brazil. Yeah, you know, this is the thing. Is that, Do you remember the first UFC in Brazil where it was like a, a death sentence if you were from, say, I think there was like uh, only one fighter that won on the very first UFC Brazil card, uh, you know, and now we're going down there and Americans are doing well. So I plan to be that American that goes down to Sao Paulo on November 7th and, and does well. You know, this is... um. It's funny because the stadium is actually like named after it's like Rodolfo something Almeida Stadium. So I'm sure it's like his great uncle's grandpa's, you know, cousin. So, I mean, we're definitely going into his backyard and I couldn't be more excited about it, man. Yeah, not only are you going into his backyard, but I mean, you got to get mentally prepared for, you know, they're not just going to boo you. They're going to scream, eh, ooh, va mujer. And that means you're going to die. Ooh, va mujer. Ooh, <laughs> va mujer. I just danced to it, man. Ain't nothing to do but it. You know what I mean? It's it's uh, it's just one of those things. You either let it you either let it get to you or you, you know, you rise to the occasion. Um, you know, you talked about his impressive 20-0 record. Uh, I think he's got 18 first-round finishes. Uh, I mean, it's hard not to get impressed with the kid, but, you know, those numbers don't lie. So let me go further into why numbers don't lie. If you take away his last two opponents, um, Yves Jabway and Brad Pickett, you look at his record uh, from the opponents previous to that, 18 guys. I broke down their win-loss ratio, and it's 96 and 97. All that tells me is that he's fighting guys that are 3-3, and 5-5, you know, 6-18. and 18. And uh, Brad Pickett, you know, I love him. Yves Jabwe, I respect him. Brad Pickett was one and four in his last five. And Yves Jabwe is three and three in his last six. You know, um, the one guy that he hadn't finished was a legitimate USA wrestler, Timmy Gorman. You know, Tim went in there and got a little gassed. He did good with the takedowns and pressuring. He caught Thomas with some good solid jabs. And, uh, you know, it just shows me that, that, there is kryptonite there, and uh, I plan to impose my game plan, you know, and show that I'm not one of these guys that's going to get finished in the first round by by a liver punch or, or one of his fancy flying knees. Um, you know, you get caught with Thomas by standing still and standing in front of him. You know, the thing is, is, is if he gets going and he comes forward, then he's dangerous. You know, the reason they call me the bull is because I've never gone backwards. So if he wants to meet me in the middle of the octagon and, and – uh, you know, exchange some some UFC logo leather with me, I'm, I'm ha- more than happy to do so. Well, I know the fans are going to be excited to hear that kind of thing. And, you know, with Tomas Almeida, you know, he has gotten dropped in a couple of his fights. But one thing that you and I can both give him credit for is that he does have that championship heart. He will get back up. So, Anthony, are you mentally prepared for a guy that, you know, will take your best shots and potentially get back up? Or do you think that if you hit him on the button, he's going to go out cold? Did you see Joe Soto fight? How many times did TJ hit him? 
Yeah, and that's a point that we're going to get into on this show. The fact that the championship had the champion had to take five rounds to stop this guy Joe Soto, and you took you know less than a hundred times that amount to stop him. I mean, you stopped him in under a minute and a half. So yeah, talk about that real quick. The thing is, you know, is I got a strength, uh, a great strength and conditioning coach, a great uh, Olympic lifting coach who has you know really brought out some power from the depths of my head. And I plan to do that. You know, I've noticed that Thomas gets hit. It's not like his defense is super, super high. You know, he gets hit, he takes his licks, and absolutely, I feel like that turns him on and gets him going. You know what I mean? The difference between me is when I see someone hurt, I finish the fight. I don't let him get his feet back under him. I plan on hurting him with my hands, taking his neck and choking him and leaving Brazil immediately after for sure, man. Now, you know, a lot of people consider this to be a step up for you, but this is actually a step up for him. So just talk about how he's never faced someone like you before. Like I said, we, we look at Yves Jabway and, and Brad Pickett. They're great fighters. You know, they're great strikers. Brad's got pretty decent wrestling for, for an Englishman. You know, he trains out of American top team and uh, there's, there's some great wrestlers there. So it's hard not to get great wrestling. Um, he, he had him hurt two or three times in the first round. And then uh, that second round, Brad kind of got complacent and stayed in front of him. Um, you know, he's never faced a wrestler like me with jujitsu like mine or hands in kickboxing like mine. I've been very, um, very, very fortunate to have some tremendous Muay Thai coaches uh, in my career. And I've always felt like um, new people have come in and out of my life and and training uh, to expand and evolve my my style, um, and I think a wrestler, a college wrestler with uh, with very smart technical Muay Thai, is one of the most dangerous type of fighters. And I believe I am that fighter for Thomas Almeida. You know, I've had um, Coach Six Gun Gibson from Jackson's MMA really bring out some uh, some technical stuff that I love. Uh, I got a new Muay Thai coach named Tiago Azaredo who has uh, multiple guys in in Lion fights and Siam productions. Uh, fought in Thailand himself he got fight in Thailand coming up after me in December you know so he's um he's the real deal and the guy that got me into into Muay Thai Nunxiam Samprusi is a a five-time world champion two-time Lumpini stadium champion so so I've not just had guys that practice Muay Thai uh train me I've had guys that teach the best caliber of fighters teach me Muay Thai so and competing at the highest level so I understand the technique blending it with my wrestling blending my wrestling with jiu-jitsu and, and that's why I believe I'm the most dangerous fighter that Thomas Almeida's ever faced. Yeah, so essentially you're covering all your bases in training camp right now. And I got to know, man, what's it like training with Brandon Gibson? You know, dude, it, from the first time I met Brandon, we, we were in a groove. You know, there's so many times that you get a, a new mitts coach and you're trying to find the mitts and it's just not working out, you know, or, or they're throwing some new concepts at you that you, that you really don't understand. And with me and, and Six Gun, man, we just flow like water, bro. It's like two cups pouring water back into each other from left hand to right hand. And and uh, I saw that from the get-go with him. You know, Cup Swanson took me out there with him uh, for his training camp for Frankie Edgar. And, uh, you know, that's when I first met Six Gun. And, and Six Gun really helped me out this last camp with Joe Soto. You know, it's actually a, a funny story the way it went down. Um, unfortunately, I had to fire my boxing coach 45 minutes before we left to the arena. And, uh, you know, I was like, hey you know, six gun, you know, we worked together before. Do you mind stepping up at this last minute and being my, being my cornerman for, uh, for this fight? He goes, not Burchick, let's go do it, man. And do what we did. Yeah, man. And Anthony, do you mind revealing why you broke up with your boxing instructor 45 minutes before your fight? 
not going to divulge too much information. It was just, um, it was something that I, I, this is a job to me and it's very, it's very professional. So with some things that are, that are kind of, uh, unprofessional, I mean, some, some of the time it's, it's a norm with, you know, striking coaches, but it just, to me, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I needed to go into battle with and, and I needed to, to cut that negativity out immediately. And that's a good way to put it because, you know, in order to reach the top, you got to have that good support system. You got to have everyone in line, everyone with the right mindset. So I applaud you for that, my friend. Now, you know, and, and I'm back. I just want to let it be known. I'm back with him for this camp, you know, getting work in, in with him and stuff. But uh, I don't think I'm going to out to my fight. I think it's just one of those things that uh, he's just going to be my coach when I'm here at home. And, and uh, you know, when I need um, someone to drive, you know, the Ferrari when we're in the octagon, then it's going to have to be somebody else. For sure. And, you know, as a fan of the sport, because that's what I am, on paper, this is the kind of fight where, you know, either one guy's going to fall or both of you guys are going to go to the hospital. Now, do you at all view it like that? Or do you just think you're going to go out there and run through Tomas Almeida? You know, I don't want to say run through him uh, because that's that's just it's too brash. It's too cocky. But uh, when I go out there and I have fun and I stick to the game plan, that's when magic happens. You know, I, I have, you know, 12 fights and 10 finishes or 12 wins and 10 finishes. And uh, it's because I go out there to initiate the game plan and find those little cracks and crevices where the mistakes that my opponents make. And that's where I capitalize, you know, and this this fight's no different. I'm going to I'm going to hit my game game plan i'm going to do my combinations my takedowns and sure and, and the stress of being 20 and 0 at home and uh that uva mujer is not really not really helping him out you know and he realized that good old usa wrestling is is the name of the game um then that's when i'm going to catch him with uh with a finish yeah man so you know you are a family man you have four kids two sons and two daughters right Yes, sir. And, you know, what do you want your kids to take, you know, from the fact that you are so courageous to go to Brazil and fight a kid that's 20 and 0, a kid that a lot of people think he might be a future champion? You know, what do you want everyone that looks up to you to think about that kind of thing? Because that's very inspiring, my man. Yeah, I mean, dude, it's so hard to try to try to put that into words. You know, it's it's without sounding almost depressing. It's It's a lot of time and sacrifice away from my kids. You know what I mean? Like. I, I come home for an hour. My kid says, hi, daddy. And then he's saying, bye, daddy. You know, and it's like, uh, it breaks my heart. But if I could teach them or anybody that looks up to me anything, it's 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 sacrifice, man, is there's a lot of sacrifice behind the scenes. This isn't a, a glitz and glam sport, you know, where you see Conor McGregor. He's the only one that lives lives the life like that. You know, he fights for the money. He fights for the green. I fight for my family and this fights for me. That's my that's my mantra. I repeat that over and over and over again, and never forget why I do this. I I do this to keep a roof over my kids' heads, to keep clothes on their backs, keep food on the table. I fight for bread and milk. You know, I, I don't got um, cushy sponsorships anymore. I've been fortunate that a couple sponsors have stayed by my side. You know, through through the Reebok deal and stuff. But uh, to teach my kids anything is that you know overcome through adversity, through hard work, dedication, and chase your dreams because. Once you push your ex- excuses aside and you really get down to the meat and potatoes of why you're doing it, then you find, you know, your your motivation and and uh, and how to really get shit done. 
Yeah, man, I couldn't have said it better myself. And, you know, I run a website called bestfightpicks.com. And, you know, we're in the prediction business. We got to give predictions on every single fight. So, Anthony, I want you to give a message to the MMA bettors out there because you're going to be an underdog for this fight. It is what it is. Why should they take that shot on the underdog? You know what, man? You know, I understand you run that that MMA pick site. Guys, don't bet on me. You know, the thing is, is I I just... uh, I don't like getting bet on, but I'll tell you something. I'm going to give you guys facts. Go look at my record. Go look at Thomas's record. You tell me who he's beat, and you tell me who I've beat. And I'll show you where, where the proof is in the pudding. You heard it here first, my friends. Right now, right here, live on Half the Battle. Now, Anthony, I appreciate you talking to me about the Tomas Almeida fight. Now, let's talk about your past a little bit. You fought in the MFC. You were the inaugural bantamweight champion. And, you know, real quick, before we talk about the two exciting fights you had over there, I want to know, man, what's the, you know, what's it like fighting in the ring versus fighting in the cage? Because that ring at MFC was fucking huge, man. Yeah, it was, it's huge, bro. Like it's like a 30 by 30 foot uh, ring, you know, it's, um, I had to pack a lunch by the time I got to the other side of the cage, you know, sat down, had a picnic and it was a long, it was a long run across there, you know, but I had two great fights in the MFC. I, I, you know, say what you will about Mark Pavlich. You know, the guy's passionate about what he does. He's crazy insane. But, uh, you know, he gave me a platform to really build my brand and fan base. And, you know, putting, you know, the name Anthony Burchak in 48 million homes on Access TV on a Friday night is something that means a lot to me. So, big, my hat's off to Mark Pavlich and the Pavlich family, uh, Maximum Fighting Championships, and, and giving me, um, you know, an opportunity to win, win my first world title in. For sure, man. And, you know, you fought Ryan Benoit. Now, I got to ask you because, you know, I pronounce it Benoit. Some people pronounce it Benoit. You've been in there with the guy. What's his last name, Anthony? It's Benoit. You know, it's uh, if you were in Canada, obviously French Canadians are going to say Benoit, like the old wrestler Benoit. Uh, But, you know, he pronounces it Benoit, and I respect him enough to at least pronounce his last name correctly. Okay, good. So I've been saying it right all along. So you fight Ryan Benoit, and in 2013, a lot of people considered this to be the fight of the year. You know, at the beginning of the fight, you had like a Matt Hughes slam where you picked him up, you walked across that distance, you know, you packed a lunch like you mentioned, and you put him on his ass. But I got to ask you, man, were you surprised with how tough this guy is? Because, you know, you controlled the overall tempo and rhythm of the dance, but he did have his moments where, you know, he was so scrappy, he'd be able to reverse a position here and there. Just talk about that fight. Yeah, I, I, I always talk about that fight as as me at level 9,000 Super Saiyan, right? Like, just balls to the wall, pedal to the metal. It was 150% energy and output and 80% technique. And I, and I lost, uh, you know, I think I had nine or ten submission attempts that whole fight when I should have just had one, you know? And if you look at the end of round two, my jiu-jitsu coach was super pissed because I finished him with a triangle choke. He was out asleep on the canvas, and his coaches got in the ring, ran across the ring, scooped him up off the deck, and put him on a stool and woke him back up to answer the bell for the third round. So I was pretty pretty upset that I didn't get a, you know my 11th finish out of that. But, uh, you know, credit to Ryan Benoit, man. Even though he was uh, significantly undersized for, for 135s, uh, he gave me a hell of a fight, man. I knew the kid hit hard. Um, I actually avoided a lot of strikes on the feet, which was um, which was part of the game plan. And uh, but he hit me a couple times on some ground and pound, man, where I had a giant goose egg, uh, you know, for about a week behind my head. So, um, you know, that fight was 
was probably my favorite fight of all times. Uh, we were the only fighters not in the UFC at that time to get voted for fight of the year. So we were on uh, we were on the ballot with Vitor Belfort versus uh, Luke Rockhold, uh, Gilbert Melendez, Diego Sanchez, Mark Hunt, and uh, Bigfoot Silva. And then it was little old Anthony Burchak and Ryan Benoit. You know what I mean? So it was super awesome to get to even get nominated for, you know, the ultimate fight of the year with, with those names in the UFC that are, that were huge at the time, you know? So, um, that fight definitely defined, um, a stage in my career, but, uh, you know, I, I look back at that fight. I watched it eight or 10 times, you know, really saw what I needed to work on more, which was, which was patience, composure, poise, and uh, I think I really uh, embodied that in the Tito Jones fight. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we're about to talk about. So, you know, you defeat Ryan Benoit for that number one contendership. Then you get the title fight against Tito Jones. And, you know, you took the lessons you learned from the Benoit fight and you put them into action against Tito Jones because you absolutely ran through him. So just talk about what it was like winning that MFC Bantamweight title. It was, dude, you have no idea what it led up to to, to get to that fight. You know, there was so much turmoil and uncertainty you know i'm a taurus so i need like steady ground and consistency and you know shit needs to be scheduled out and 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 on and popping well i was far from that with this camp you know i had to i had to leave apex mixed martial arts which was my gym for for a very long time they got me started into into mma and really got me you know consistency like i needed and uh, I ended up leaving them uh, on some bad terms, and I ended up getting, you know, linking up with Chris Carriasso and his gym, Rise Combat Sports, here in Tucson, that had just opened up at the time. Um, so I was that was already unstable. To to make matters even worse, uh, my brother and training partner committed suicide uh, a week before I was leave. Uh, sorry, two weeks before my fight, uh, and then my son was born a week before my fight. So. There was mourning, there was joy, there was uh, just a multitude of emotions that I was trying to, to deal with at the time. And the only solace that I had was training. You know, I was doing interviews while Mercedes, my fiance, is in labor. You know, I'm, I was in the labor room with her, knocking out interviews and then giving her a kiss on the forehead and saying, hold him in till I get back after this hour, you know, of training. So... You know, it was it was so much stuff leading up to that fight. I almost pulled out two or three times, man. I even called Pavlich and I said, "Hey, bud, you know, I've done a lot of promotion for your organization. I've I've tried to put this thing on my back and really man up and do this, but I don't think I'm going to be able to go go through with this, bro." I said, "My, you know, my my dude's dead and and my son's just being born." I said, "I think I'm going to have to to cancel this." And uh, you know, he kind of showed me some true colors there what he was his responses were you know but uh i know my brother would have wanted me to go through with it and um i still don't i still get emotional man it, it's it's hard for me to talk about but i know he would have wanted me to go through with it and uh to canada edmonton and uh you know i walked the city by myself the first night that i was there my cornermen were going to get in for two days i didn't even have the right cornermen i had like one of my students and uh, a strength and conditioning buddy that I lift with go out and corner me. Um, and then uh, I had Luke Hayabusa Harris, who, uh, who's, uh, you know, an awesome fighter. 
come out and, and help me. But it was just so much turmoil, man, that I had to put on the back burner of being a new daddy. And, and you know, it was it was mind boggling, man. And to get the finish like I did really showed a lot. This but oh, this is my dude right here, little Jet. You know, this was a. Uh, this was the product of, uh, of, you know, hard work and dedication right here, man. And, and I couldn't have done it without this guy and a couple of my teammates and my fiance. Go inside. You, you know, and that's, and that's the measuring stick, isn't it? It's how far can you really push yourself to achieve what you want to achieve? And I gutted it out, bro. I, I could have, I had every opportunity to give up and quit and I didn't, you know? So I know when I hear someone say, oh, I can't go to the gym cause I'm too tired or I have a long day at work or I, you know, I got problems with it. It's bullshit, dude. Just fucking nut up and get it done. Yeah, for sure. And I was going to ask you, you know, what's the silver lining of, you know, losing your brother, then having your son, then winning that championship? But I think you just told us, but just, just you know, cap it off real quick. The the, the ultimate, I guess the, the final payoff for that was just knowing that I went through, I saw something through to the end. And if I could tell my kids anything is through to the end, you know, because... You don't know whether it's going to turn out terrible or whether it's going to turn out to be a turning point in your life where you realize what you're made of. Yeah, man. And you realize exactly what you were made of right then and there. I mean, you know, that takes some serious balls and, you know, mental fortitude to overcome something like that. Now, I got to ask you, man. So after you win that title against Tito Jones, it took over a year you know, before you had your next fight in the UFC, you know, why was there such a gap? Were you injured? Were there contract issues? What's the deal, Anthony? I, yeah, I was actually supposed to, I was actually supposed to defend my title against uh, Kevin Kroom, who was a tough fight at the time. He was like on a nine fight win streak. He was destroying everybody, you know, but I thought I matched up very good with him. And, uh, you know, I, I've had a couple of friends that trained with him that were like, dude, training with you and training with him is day your head and shoulders the bit better athlete so I was getting uh you know I was getting ready for him and I suffered an injury and um you know it stretched it out a little while and and you know I I, I went back and forth with Pavlich trying to figure out you know what our best route was and it ended up coming to a point where uh you know there was a clause in my contract where where it wasn't an, it wasn't an injury clause it was the verbiage in it that literally got me out of my got me out of my contract with the MFC and uh that's when the UFC was like hey you know we want to do this we want to do that let's uh you know let's bring you up and stuff i literally talked to sean shelby the night before i fought tito jones and uh they he 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 was like hey we're gonna be watching this fight so you know don't lose <laughs> so you know that that was pretty stressful and um just to think about you know how it all went down it kind of sucks but but at the end of the day this is business you know and i, I was trying to progress myself in my career uh, by going forward and, and ultimately signing with the UFC, it was uh, a lot of contract dispute, and uh, that's pretty much what chewed up that whole calendar year for me of of, uh, of being the longest hiatus of my of my career. Well, here you are in the UFC, a bantamweight contender, and you know UFC 177. I know you got some uh, some memories of that occasion, and you know a lot of people like to ask you about 
oh, why didn't they give you the title shot instead of Joe? But actually what I want to ask you, Anthony, is did they not offer Scott Jorgensen the opportunity to step up and fight you? Yeah, yes, they did. So I've never seen somebody say no so damn fast. I, Sean Shelby was like, literally, hey, I'm going to go ask Scott Jorgensen uh, if he wants to fight you. Scott Jorgensen said no. So I was like, what? What? The, what? Like, so I, I'm, you know, but at, at that time, uh, I under, I, I was kind of pissed off, you know, and I cried. I cried my eyes out for the first time in my life. I cried because I couldn't get into a fight, not because I got into a fight. So um, it was kind of disappointing, but Scotty actually did me a favor by not fighting me. He ended up getting me paid my win and uh, my show and win bonus. So that was, uh, that was good uh, to add to, to make matters worse. Uh, I came home and my whole house was robbed, cleared out. So that money that I got paid by, uh, by the UFC really helped to, um, to get everything back uh, paid for for me. You know, they stole TVs, PlayStations, kids' toys. They stole Barbies. They stole Top Ramen. They stole four beers that I had in the refrigerator. Wow. Yeah, I mean, just talk about, you know, you've been through it all, man. I, I don't even know where to start. I mean, did they catch the guys that did that? No, man, they, they, they've never caught anybody. Uh, I have a few ideas of who I think it might be, but um, they stole, uh, man, I, one of a kind, my MFC world title ring, man. I was the one that I had that I, that I treasured the most. Uh, you know, but it, like I said, it's one of a kind. So I may not get it back this year. I may not get it back next year. But someday I'm gonna see that on somebody's hand, and they got a nice high head kick coming from me. Some trust me. I don't care how you have it. I don't care if you found it through a friend of a friend of a friend. You're getting beat up. Yeah, and you know we, we like to talk about karma and this and that. And one day you're gonna get it back. I know you will. You know you will. And whoever took it, it's not gonna end well for them. Now, Anthony. So. <laughs> You know, after UFC 177, you know, you get you get paid your show and your win. That's good that the UFC took care of you, but you didn't get to fight. You come home, your house has been robbed, and then you have, you get the call to fight in Arizona, which is your hometown, against Ian Entwistle. And what this guy is good at is basically he's like the Tokino, the Rusimar Paharis of the bantamweight division, where basically he's a one-trick pony. He, lo- he loves... The heel hook. So I got to know, man, because this must have been such a learning lesson for you. Not just to, you know, for the fight to go down the way it did, but the fact that it was in your hometown. And, you know, you didn't even really get a chance to fight. So just talk about that learning experience real quick. It was just, uh, it was a terrible camp because, you know, so many people avoid training heel hooks because of the high propensity for injury. You know, so I was already pissed off that I had to train for this you, like you said, one trick pony, you know, that, that I knew he had a heel hook. I knew he had some good stuff, uh, on the legs, you know, such, um, such a pain in the ass to train for a fighter like that, you know, and, and, uh, you know, the fight started and I came out and I, I dropped him with that chest kick that I hit him with. And, uh, I could just see that I was, you know, a hundred times faster than him on the feet. My hands were going to put him to sleep and, and I got overzealous with the takedown and I just kind of let, um, you know, let a hot head prevail, which, which wasn't what I needed at the time. I needed cool, calm, collected. Uh, I was a little over aggressive, which I'm known to be sometimes, um, you know, but I've learned, I've learned so much more composure and, and patience. And, uh, you know, I know the feeling of what it's like to fight at home and trying to be perfect. So I know what Thomas is feeling. He's 20 and oh, he's as perfect as perfect can be. He's got to stay perfect. I don't have to stay perfect. 
I just have to have fun, you know? So I'm going into his backyard, just like Ian came into my backyard. And, you know, he violated me in front of my, in front of my hometown crowd and my people, you know, but, um, he had a bad luck. Like we talked about, look, listen, all the shit that happened to me over my career, you know, it's so much bad stuff, but it, it, it works its way out in the long run. Right. You know, Ian came over here, they lost his luggage. So he had one pair of jeans and one pair of fight shorts that the UFC gave him to work out in. Right. They put him in hotel room 666. Someone, he walks around the city to go get something to eat and someone pickpocketed him. The guy had the worst experience in the USA ever. So I didn't mind after thinking about him going home with a submission of the night bonus. I understood why, you know, I understood why it happened the way it did. And I understood that it was to make me grow and make me learn how to have a different mental prep or, or mentality when going into a fight, coming out of a fight, how to really assess the situation as an adult or as a mature, honest human being. And that's why I've always been brutally honest with myself on my performances, my training sessions. I can look in my, the, the thing that I'm proud to say though, is at the end of the day, I can look the man in the mirror, think about all the opponents I've fought, and really say that they were a test to myself at that time in my career. When I see guys that are 18 and 0 fighting guys that are 5 and 3, that is not honesty. You know, at the end of the day, only measure yourself by those who you have beaten. And if you have beaten greatness, then you yourself are great. Thomas is beating guys that are 5 and 3 making it look easy because it is you know, and, and he's beating guys that are in the, have been in the UFC for a very long time with great careers, you know, that are 24 and 11 or 20 and 11, you know, Thomas, uh, you know, beat Brad Pickett and, and Eve Jabway pretty handedly, but I think we could all agree that they were on their way out, you know, so to look at what's going on with me losing here in my hometown, look at what he has to deal with fighting in his hometown as a perfect athlete. I understand where I need to have the mental edge and stay composed and really just go have fun in this fight. For sure, man. And, you know, I just want to backtrack a little bit. You talked about what your uh, your first UFC opponent, Ian, went through in the USA, and I had no idea about that. I mean, you know, obviously before the fight, there's a lot of emotions. You know, you guys talked a little bit of shit, but after the fight, it's all good. So, I mean, are you guys cool or, you know, did he tell you that or did you find out from an outside source or what? I'll tell you the type of guy I am. Uh, I found him after the fight, and I said, hey, get over here. And his coach looks, and it was Ray Elby. Ray Elby was like, hey, don't go over there. You know, I don't want you guys to start shit. I said, nah, Ray, he's a big boy. He can come over here. So Ian walked over. And I what's your favorite beer? And he goes, I like Budweiser. I said, cool, we're a Budweiser together. He was the better man, man. He, he, you know, he whooped my ass. Uh, in something that I know nothing about, and I tipped him, I bought him a beer, and that was that, you know. He, I started training heel hooks after that and training a lot of leg submissions, uh, you know, before, because I was doing um, a jiu-jitsu super fight against a black belt who was also really good at leg locks. So I started training leg locks. I posted up a beam. Uh, it was a picture of Anakin Skywalker, and it said, when you start practicing heel hooks and realize how 
how it feels to be on the dark side. And uh, he, yeah, so he invited me out to Phuket Top Team, and uh, you know, he he told me that he would show me how to rip people's legs off, and uh, I haven't been able to take him up on that opportunity yet. But the owner of Phuket Top Team also messaged me and said that they needed help for, with a wrestling coach, so I might just uh, head out there, you know, this next year in 2016, and and maybe get a, a different training look. Yeah, that'd be awesome, man. You know, in in that fight, I mean, you know, you were landing some good ground upon it. Almost looked like the the cage was in the way of you know you getting out of it but it is what it is you took a learning lesson out of it and then in your next fight you go out there and you fight the guy that you were initially supposed to uh fight for your ufc debut and this is joe soto this is a guy that he's a former bellator champion he took on tj dillashaw the current ufc bantamweight champion he took him all five rounds and then at the end of the fifth round you know tj landed that head kick but uh Against Anthony Burchak, you know, we're all like, this is going to be a war. This is a fight the fans have wanted to see forever. And, I mean, you go out there, you drop him, you let him get back up, and then you were just like, you are dead. And you just started teeing off on him. It was almost like uh, my boy Matt Brown, where it's just, once you see, once you smell that blood, you're just relentless. You were going with the elbows. So, I mean, just talk about your killer instinct real quick. And when you know the guy's hurt and you swarm for that finish, what's that like, man? Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. I, I have a I'll watch my videos every time I finish somebody and I see there's like literally not even a second, a half a second, quarter of a second that goes by when I'm already realizing what I've done. So I'm on the attack. You know, there's some guys that they, they hit somebody and they take two steps back before they realize that, hey, I got him hurt. So many people have hurt him and hit him, but have have neglected to follow up. Uh, that's not, that's not going to happen. You know, I, I'm different. I'm going to hit you and you're going to, I'm going to choke you or finish up with some big punches. And, uh, when I saw Joe Soto go for that leg lock, I was like, I had PTSD. I was like, no, I'm not reliving this again. So I go to the leg lock. He got back to his feet and I just unloaded with uppercuts and hooks and elbows, like you said. And, uh, I, I knew that I hit him with that. Uh, we call it, um, a, a Cobra punch. And it's where you you go same side, either right kick, right hand, or right knee, right hand, and that's what what started the whole thing off with a with a big drop. Um, but Joe thought I was going to be the same fighter and be hyper aggressive and come at him right out of the gate. And that was one thing that I told you I'd been working on was my composure, my patience, my poise. And I thought I really showed that in that fight was I measured him. He was biting on all my feints and fakes, and I really was able to set up the strikes that I wanted that eventually leaded to me uh, knocking out a former world champion and world title challenger. Yeah, man. And, you know, I got a couple more questions for you. Obviously, want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us here on Half the Battle. And, you know, I got to know, Anthony, when did you first find out that you had that kind of knockout power? Uh, the first time I found that out um, was in training. Uh, like probably the first month into MMA, I realized that I could hurt people hands i just didn't know throw them properly now that i'm a you know more of a polished striker uh i think the the realization came when i knocked out uh jackson jackson mma's top 135er matt leva uh in albuquerque um i hit him with a right hand that i just i i thought i just was throwing out there to clear the air and it just hit him on the chin and dropped him so i realized that you don't have to throw with power to have power you just Got to throw it with intention, you know, throw it with some intention to land and whether, whether it's hard or soft, if it lands, it's going to hurt. 
For sure. And do you prefer to knock guys out or submit them? And the reason I ask is, you know, you're a D2 wrestler. You have six wins by submission, four wins by KO. I want to know firsthand, right here, right now, live, on Half the Battle, what do you prefer? Submitting dudes, man. There's there's no greater feeling than having a guy have to make a conscious effort to say, you know what, I don't want to be here in here with Anthony Burchak anymore and tap out. When you knock somebody out, their heart could still be there. Their brain just shuts down, you know? When you submit somebody, you take their heart because they no longer want to participate in your guys' contest. Yeah, man. So I want to ask you about something completely separate to this. What's it like training? Right, go ahead. What's it like training with Olympic gold medalist Henry Cejudo? It, it's awesome, man. You know, I've known Henry for a very long time. We both grew up in in uh, Arizona wrestling. Uh, he's a couple years younger than me, um, but you know, I saw him win uh, his you know his three straight titles here in Arizona, and then moved to Colorado and win his fourth or um, his third and his fourth. But me and him actually beat. The- same 5A state champion, uh, David Jarman, the same year. So, um, you know, just watching him grow up and then winning the Olympics in 2008, I remember I had just started mixed martial arts, uh, just training mixed martial arts in, in 2008. So to be watching him on my couch uh, beat that Japanese wrestler was pretty awesome. And now for both of us to be in the UFC together is um, is really, really kind of a surreal moment. But to train with him, man, it's just, it's just awesome, you know, because I see the type of dedication he has when he doesn't get a move right or when he's trying to learn a new combination. He's such a, a, dedica- a dedicated athlete that he continuously hones his craft. Yeah, man. And I mean, he must be pretty mean on the mats, huh? Yo, absolutely, bro. I I mean, I'm a pretty decent wrestler. When I went with Henry, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot you, like, won the Olympics or something, right? I mean, mean, you just, he makes you feel like a child. Yeah, man. So, Anthony, I really, truly appreciate your time. You know, thank you so much for talking to us here on Half the Battle. You know, so obviously you got Tomas Almeida next in Brazil. Aside from Tomas Almeida, what's next for Anthony El Toro Burchak? Uh, I got a lot of irons in the fire, man. You know, um, this weekend, like we said, I'm, I'm going to the Europa Games. I got one of my sponsors uh, that's got a booth there. So I'll be at uh, the Europa Games Fit Expo. Um, I got a couple of guys that are competing at um, a really, really big jiu-jitsu tournament here in Arizona. It's the Southwest Classic. Uh, it's a Novo Uniao, Gustavo Dantes um, tournament. So this is, a, this is a big one for us. I would be competing tomorrow, but I, I signed my battle agreement already, and the UFC has uh, – rules about competing like that so uh other than that man i'm just focusing on thomas and and staying healthy and uh really really visualizing my win come november 7th for sure man just go ahead you know give any shout outs you gotta give plug anything you gotta plug the floor is yours my friend yeah i gotta thank uh sports management my fiance and manager mercedes white um you know with the reebok deal it's been super hard to to really getting new sponsors, but she's done such a great job of, of, uh, you know, keeping companies like booster fight gear, virus international, uh, Zyphos training and tactical damage control, mouth guard. Um, a lot of great companies like that garden of life supplements on it. Um, you know, so many oral IV, so many people have, have continued to, to stay on with me. And I really, really appreciate the support, uh, especially, uh, with, with how, uh, you know, how everything goes, but, um, you know, there's so many people, my training, my training partners, Chris Gonzalez, Ace Martinez, Ernesto Fuentes, my jiu-jitsu coach, Sean Huff, uh, boxing coach, Charles Caraway, 
uh, Muay Thai coach Renee Leon and Tiago Azaredo, Coach Gibson, uh, my buddy Cub Swanson, who's been a great mentor to me. Uh, there's so many people to thank, man, you know, and, and I, I just wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those people. For sure, man. And, you know, I got to thank some people myself. You know, all the fans that listen to this show, I truly appreciate it. And, you know, for everyone else, you know, subscribe to this, soundcloud.com slash bestfightpicks. You can find half the, half the battle on YouTube. And, Anthony, after your big fight with Tomas Almeida, man, we'd love to have you back on the show sometime. I would love to be back on. So, so after I'm done going down there and doing work, uh, get me back on and we'll we'll talk about the win, baby. Absolutely, man. You have a great day, Anthony. You too, brother. Take care.